I'm Layman Pascal, and the end is now upon you. You're listening to an integral stage series talking with folks who try to put forth transcendental, transformative, and developmental perspectives through podcasts, YouTube channels, online salons, and whatever all else. Who are these people? What are they collectively pointing at, and how can we help to amplify, clarify, interlink, and empower them? That's the project, and joining us today are Ezekiel73 and Son of Korg, two anonymous members of the Integral Diaspora. That's right, we've gone dark today for a clandestine meeting with frontline online shadow workers who are waist deep in the weird. So let's get started by you guys telling us what kind of content you're providing and where folks can find it. So our our website is called uh, Limited Hangout, Experiments in Ontological Flooding, uh, which is quite a mouthful. And it's um, limitedhangout.wtf, which I think is the perfect when we were going through potential domain names, the .wtf was just seemed to be like the perfect description of the present moment. It's just a lot of WTF going on in the world. There's the anonymity side. A limited hangout means that we're interested in aspects that are typically occulted or hidden behind the normal view of things. And we're trying to do that in a way that we think is appropriate to the present moment and help bring, yeah, call it an integral, call it a more integrative, complex, meta-reasoned thoughtfulness to the present moment. Because there's clearly stuff that's going on that is beyond the frame of the normal worldview that most of us have been inculcated in. And when things are kind of outside those lines, when reality starts drawing outside those lines, we need to reformulate our sense of where the boundaries are. And I think this is what we're really interested in, is finding out actually the history and context and meaning-making and orientation in a time of extreme disorientation. Yeah, I would just add that we were approached... um, uh by a friend who is also been around the integral world for a long time I, I think he actually created the first integral reddit um and this particular person is is made a, a fair bit of money off cryptocurrency he was right in at the beginning of all you know three of the big cryptocurrencies and he was offering he saw with the intellectual dark web uh, over the last the back back end of this project's a few years old, and with the intellectual dark web, this person saw, and and they're they're sort of tiny, but a Venn diagram overlap with um, with the integral world. Uh, this person sort of saw an opening and, and wanted to. It offered some money, it was sort of a, a budget to for some folks who wanted to sort of enter into that that stream and and. Um, and because uh, he thought there was an opening there, not only brought by the intellectual dark web, but um, again, with their sort of somewhat connections to the integral world. So uh, Son of Korg and I decided that we we pitched a project and, and it's become what this is. But I think it's been also quite affected just by the culture, uh, by, you know, I, I don't where we are now and what we're writing about i'm not sure exactly the beginning that's where we would have gone to but with all the with ufo disclosure and epstein and blah 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 everything all the madness that's going down it's sort of taken us 
uh, and, and swirled us into some, some other places. So that's a bit of background as well. So we have a benefactor, which is very, very nice uh, for the project. Why the secrecy? Why the secrecy? Um, I think on a few different fronts, um, I think one is, you know, the, the cultural conversation is so very toxic uh, at the moment, you know, with cancel culture and uh, identity politics and the culture wars and, and whatnot. And I think, you know, from one level, we both have jobs and, and family lives. Um, and it's just a lot, a lot of work to be, to be out there, um, you know, debating and arguing and, and being doxxed or being whatever, you know, it's, it's a very aggressive space. And so there's one part of it's to sort of, um, just want to tackle the ideas as much as anything, uh, and not really get into the mix in that, in that way. I think also some of this material we're touching into is, you know, it is, um, it's, it's a bit, a bit dangerous it can be touched uh it could be picked upon but picked up upon by intelligence agencies whatnot i mean there's a lot of deplatforming going on there's a lot of websites that have been you know, we hear stories of people's websites being exploded from within we've already had people uh someone snooping around our site a few times um so you know just want to be careful as well i don't think it's we're not certainly not paranoid and it's probably not that big a deal but yet you know uh people get attacked for um sensitive topics that uh you know some groups might not want to be talked about so i think all those things are mixed and part of it is just aesthetic you know i'll let son of korg speak to it all but there's a slightly performative aspect i think to that as well yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, the, the performative side, it does create a little bit of intrigue and I think mystery and, but I think it's also part of what Zeke mentioned there, like the, the intellectual dark web that was a beginning part of this process, Peterson and, and guys like that. You know, I, I kind of kept having in this mind, in my mind, this idea of the, the darkening web. <laughs> I was starting, I was already starting to play with it back then. Um, and I think, you know, this moment is a moment where it's apocalyptic in the sense that apocalypse means revelation. It means things being unveiled. And there's a lot that's coming out of the woodworks. It's chaotic. If there's not a frame of reference, I think a container to be able to have some sense making with how weird and wild and nuts everything is it just seems like everything is kind of flying off in all directions for most people and it can, maybe they're trying to grip to some pre-existing structure that's breaking down or they're just feeling like fragmented just being blown apart in a thousand million directions and to me it's really important that that there be a container where there is there is a way to make sense of what's going on doesn't mean it's finally figured out doesn't mean we have every single answer, but there are ways to navigate. There are ways to make sense. So to me, the secrecy is in a sense, part of the thing in that what is secret is often coming out or has been secret is now coming out. So we're kind of doing the opposite. Like the public space is kind of stuff is leaking out from what used to be cordoned off or occulted. And we're kind of at the same time actually trying to pull back 
from public view. So it's a kind of interesting dynamic there, I think. It's a reverse disclosure project. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tell me, um, what's the relationship between the apocalypse and the concept of ontological flooding? So let's maybe first talk about what is this term ontological flooding, because it's a hefty term. Um, the term is originated, coined, uh, by a scholar named um, Jack Hunter, Dr. Jack Hunter, who is uh, the founder of the discipline of paraanthropology, which is essentially parapsychology, but anthropology. And ontological flooding, as he describes it, has sort of two elements. One is more like essentially integral thought taking multiple disciplines, multiple ideas, streams of thought, and trying to bring them together into a cohesive frame of reference. The other part, which is more kind of how we're, I mean, we do both, but this is more a bit more the up and front and center in terms of the subtitle and the, a lot of the writing, is that the ontological flood is in contrast to the ontological bracket, which has really defined sociology, anthropology, and most of the social sciences since the 19th century. And the ontological bracket, of course, is this idea that we can study, you know, X culture or X life path or spiritual system or religion or philosophy or fill in the blank. And we'll just kind of go like, we'll bracket whether it's real or not. We'll just forget that question. And then we'll say, well, this culture believes in animism, but we leave out like, well, maybe is animism like real? Is magic like a real thing? Or it's like, oh, we just bracket that question because that's an unimportant question. And we just say, like, well, this is this culture's beliefs in magic. And it makes it seem more scientific. It makes it seem more quote unquote rational. But of course, what it's really doing is very thinly hiding a position of these like, primitive people with their silly, superstitious, magical beliefs. I mean, if we just really like get behind it, that's really what it's about. The ontological flood, to contrast that, is actually to say, hey, wait a minute, maybe we should take off the bracket and actually be open to the possibility that there is weirdness that goes on. Maybe there are ways in which magic can actually be participated in. Maybe reality is participatory. Maybe consciousness is real. Maybe all this stuff that people talk about has some experiential phenomenological basis. And if that's the case, then you're kind of in the flood. You're getting your feet wet. You're not hanging out on the shore doing the safe bracketing experience. And if that's the case, not only, I would say, are we opening to possibilities of things like you know, so-called paranormal phenomenon, we're also actually starting to see how things like paranormal phenomenon intersect with politics, intersect with the history of economics, intersect with what's going on in the world, like militarily, socially, and then you're really, you're really into the floodwaters then. So that's, I think, where the revelatory or unveiling aspect comes together because 
there is a lot of history of the CIA having a program to train remote viewers to see if they can spy on Soviet sites, who then also those remote viewers decided, hey, by the way, let's, you know, check out Mars. <laughs> let's see if there's any aliens up there while we're at it. And oh, by the way, like down the hall, literally down the hall, they're building the internet, like a couple doors down. So once we start to see how weird, oh, that's weird. That's a weird moment when that's all happening. Then I think we're really, we're really into the floodwaters. Huh? Yeah, if I could speak to that question, it's a, it's a great, it's a great question. I, you know, I would mm -hmm. say, again, back to the notion uh, of apocalypse being unveiling, so the revealing of a new world. I mean, biblically, the ter term means the the destruction of an evil world and an unveiling here on earth of of a more just world. So it's not about a destruction of the world, and it's never have been. The biblical writers never wrote about it that way, but. I do think we're in um, a, an unveiling period. I mean, just everything you've seen about, I mean, things that have been talked about maybe for years, we're, we're getting the truth about it. We have, you know, Hollywood sex cults that are involved in slavery and human trafficking. I mean, these and they've been busted now. That's true. That's not a conspiracy theory. Nexium and you know uh, Epstein's blackmail uh, operation, a global blackmail operation, um, and then just the way he died, the preposterous uh, nature of that. Um, Harvey Weinstein, you know Hollywood's full of sexual predators. I mean, we could go on. The Navy saying is you know, UFOs. I mean, we can go on and on. It's quite a a period where um, a certain uh, some people call it the cryptocracy, the deep state, a certain sort of layer of society in the world that tends to work from the shadows uh, um, and, and owns, you know, much of the media. That's all sort of being exposed. And so I think on one level, the ontological flooding, I, I, I see it as sort of like a a capacity to hold any information like i'm not afraid to look look at anything and read anything that doesn't mean i'm all of a sudden oh man you know it's it's whatever the, the, the you know chemtrails and the frogs are turning gay i mean i'm just saying i'm willing to hold i look at anything right and so because and, and hold it and bring in new information and you know put it out together i sort of think in terms of almost percentages these days in terms of ontological flooding i'll hold this uh possibility uh and then new information comes in i might well maybe that's i think that maybe it's 50 percent possible um so i think it's sort of a a never look away a courage to really look at a lot of information and i think if you see the reaction in the last three months, so we've been through globally, obviously a pretty crazy three months, but the reaction against uh, conspiracy theories and conspiratorial thought in the sort of literati of the left and, and you know, everybody uh, coming out and you know, condemning uh, this realm of uh, research and thought as, as being, come on people, you know, you know, you know, get it together, uh, you know, this is junk, you know, and I, I just think maybe, maybe not, you know, I want to be open 
to that material. Uh, and I think the way I would tie it to uh, Integral and as Sonic Korg was just mentioning, um, you know, talking about magic and his magic uh, animism, are these things real? I mean, we've talked a long time about something, you know, we'd call deep Integral, but basically when Integral talks about transcending and including, it's by my experience, that the include part of the equation never really happened, you know, uh, that sort of much of the uh, magic uh, uh, structure of consciousness and the mythic and various parts of these were just sort of dismissed. They haven't really be, been reintegrated. I mean, how many people in a mainstream integral sense would actually believe that magic is real? I mean, um, I could tell you that, you know, someone like Julian Walker doesn't think so as he tromps, uh, writes articles and stomps across various, you know, integral Facebook pages, mocking anybody that would believe in these things. So um, I, I think that that re part of the ontological flooding, it's a wonderful way to do some of that deep integral work and sort of see what is real and listen to the practitioners, the modern practitioners who are, you know, practicing chaos magic. Um, someone like a Gordon White on his podcast, Rune Soup, I mean, who is a very, very intelligent, I, I would say a second tier individual who is, is, is a you know, practicing magician. So part of the flooding is to allow all that different material to be to be held and looked at with openness and, and encouragement. It sounds to me like there's two different ways to go at this flood metaphor. So on the one hand, you guys are describing a version of the integral worldview in which the the potential validity of any kind of perspective is allowed and allowed to sort of stream toward us and get us wet and let us know that the real world is a lot more complex and weirder and vast than we might previously have considered. But on, but on the other hand, uh, everybody today seems to feel they're in a, a hyper-semantic environment of overload. Flood, a flood can also drown us. I mean, people are uh, seeing more information of more potential significance than our ancestors ever did. And they're going into trauma. They're going into stasis. They're going into madness. So how do you strike that balance between uh, the opportunity of almost anything to be real and the fact that the potential ambiguous significance of so much information can be destabilizing and debilitating to a lot of people? Yeah, it is a great question. Um, uh, I'm glad you mentioned trauma because one of the threads on the site is precisely on how trauma plays into all of this. And there's even a piece actually on ontological flooding and trauma where I talk about maybe we should be saying like ontological immersion because in trauma work, you're right, flooding means overwhelm. So it can show up in a lot of ways how to strike this balance is what you asked. Um, be on the lookout for what I would consider to be kind of, there's a lot of cul-de-sacs or um, kind of dead ends even within what is broadly referred to as like alternative or conspiracy world there's a lot of junk conspiracy flat earth stuff or whatever right i mean people could go down these bizarre rabbit holes that just take them off no place where there's no 
there's no way back maybe except turn around and come all the way back which is hard to do so how to balance the um being open to a lot more information while being able to have regulation and containment. Um, There's a piece I wrote recently that got published that was looking at um, Kubler-Ross's stages of grief in relationship to the parapolitical path. And I went through like, as people start to encounter these kinds of information, periods of denial, periods of rage, periods of collapse, potentials for despair, potentials for paranoia, fear. Like there are a lot of, it's a, it's a real initiatory thing. And it needs to be understood as a kind of, a, if you like, death and rebirth kind of process. So being able to take it slowly bringing in actual like trauma intelligence, like titrate your experience, read a book, go, go check out the trees, see that the sky is blue. Even if there's maybe stuff in the sky, uh, you know, but be able to still have contact with some, what I would consider to be more organic, deeper reality. Because for me, this notion of the, cryptocracy or deep state or whatever, hidden hand or whatever we're going to call it is they're always pushing to something that is fundamentally inorganic and I would consider to be like unreal. And so to me, contact with nature and contact with a human community and, and lived reality is really important while undergoing this transformative process that does take time and unfortunately a lot of people we're all are getting kind of initiated unconsciously in rapid order through crazy global events that are all currently un ongoing and don't have this kind of frame of reference so at least the website is here to begin to start offering a frame of reference to talk about some of the emotional energetic psychological impacts and, and how to be safe and how to stay full of humor you know we try to bring a lot of even while we're talking about some pretty dark stuff on the site to have the wtf right to have like these avatars to have our kind of ridiculousness and a bit of humor and parody and comedy to be able to lighten the mood in the midst of it all it's important to stay sane yeah, I think the first thing that came up for me, actually, when, when you asked the question, Layman, was it is very important to just just to be sane and live life, to get outside, to do some earthing, some forest bathing, to uh, to eat well, to be with friends and family, uh, to read, you know, put down the, the phone. Uh, and so exercise, all those kind of things um, are key. Uh, I would also say, you know, we, we bring our, we need to bring our, our, our critical thinking and our logical thinking. There's something in the world of uh, the Chans, the sort of eight Chan, a non-culture, you know, they call it sauce, like where's the sauce? So if anybody puts a, you know, just puts a claim out, people are like, boom, 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 sauce, you know, like give me, like, there's no way I'm just letting you say that without links, 
uh, backup, blah, blah, blah. And I think that if you even go on something like uh, Reddit conspiracy, um, you'll see really sophisticated discussions, uh, people bringing a lot of data, people challenging other people's, you know, it's a very, you know, it's actually quite a kind space. But I'm just saying you're bringing, you're still bringing a lot of logical thinking, critical thinking, uh, um, you know, making sure you have um, data to back it up. And if you don't, you you say it, I'm just speculating now or, you know, so I think holding uh, some of those things. I also think, you know, we need to be careful of, of, of the wishful thinking uh, dimension of things where it's like, you know, aliens are here to uh, save us and trans take us to the fifth dimension. Now, that might be true, but there's also, you know, just a part of all of us who can easily get drunk on that kind of uh, eschatological vision. And I think that, you know, being really careful not to, um, you know, fall into that. And I mean, of course, in the integral world over 20 years, we saw a lot of that, you know we're in the updraft, you know, we're on the edge of evolution. I mean, that stuff's like a potion. It's like you get drunk on that. So being a little careful with those kind of scenarios as well. And I would just say also, you know, also trying to, and hopefully we can give this context in our writings, but other people as well, I think you still need, you know, the, the, the problem with postmodernity as a condition as well is um, what well, I can't remember the author, but he wrote that book, Pre well, Present Shock. And it was like, it's just data points flying at us all over the place um, through social media and everywhere, but no kind of meta narrative or overarching story to hang that on. That's, I think we still need to understand, you know, big history and evolution and, 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 and our biological heritage and just, Please try to strap what we're looking at on longer time frames and stories that we can understand. So there's still context, uh, you know, uh, for that. And that's why I still think the the stages of the structures of consciousness from from John Gabeser that were integrated into Integral are still very important. You know, because I think it does. I just think they're very useful and I'm sure Layman, you, you would as well and could speak for two hours on that, but I'm just saying, you know, that's a bit of scaffolding, the, the evolution, the biology, and then the structures are some scaffolding you can kind of use a little bit to not just fall down the vortex. Yeah. I really appreciate what you just said there. One more piece to say, and, and, and you see this through our writings because we're students and, you know, we're deep into this stuff and, there are, at this point, this kind of body of work has got enough history and, and legs to it that there are classics in the field. Like there are, that they've been around enough where there are some authors that are just people to encounter that have some goods that really help to craft, again, not a kind of junk conspiracy worldview or a wish fulfillment thing, but like a very critical depth thought through. And, you know, we try to cite those folks, people like, you know, for me, people like Peter Lavenda, Joseph Farrell, William Ingdahl, Peter Dale Scott, like there's a lot of folks who've been doing 
30 years, 40 years of, of really deep thinking on these subjects. And I think it's important. doesn't mean you have to agree 100% with everything they say, but it's important to encounter what's going on there because it's not just some fly-by-night, make-it-up-as-you-go thing. These are really thoughtful human beings who really spent the time and energy on some really complex multifaceted realities and well documented i would just add yeah so when you bring up topics that people associate with conspiracy and paranoia or systems of thought that are too far out a lot of people a lot of seemingly the most sophisticated and well-intentioned people even shut down almost immediately and go into a kind of defensive position against it Mm -hmm. What do you guys make of that? Do you think it's a, a lack of the intellectual flexibility and nuance to follow these threads safely? Is it an emotional reluctance or is it some kind of social commitment, a, like a hidden loyalty structure to a, a view of the world? I'll, I'll just answer from my perspective. Um, it's also another excellent question. Um, yeah, I, I, th I think there's some... I think there's some some fear there. Uh, I think um, I feel like I'm not going to be articulate here. I mean, there is definitely some there's some darkness. Uh, you know, mo a lot of these areas are just it can be pretty pretty dark, and so I think there's a resistance um, automatically. I think we've been given uh, a worldview, you know, through through the media. Uh, through, you know, tell us commercials, the future is friendly. You know, we've been given movies, we've been given this, that I, I know there's a bit of a, a, a constructed bubble there. Um, you know, I, I like to start personally, uh, I want to let uh, Sonic Korg answer this question better than that. But I, if I'm going to enter into, I like to start stuff that's already on the record. You know, so we already know about MK Ultra. We already know, I won't go on the list, but we already know about the CIA drug running into America, you know, I mean, start with stuff that's fact and then, yeah, there's going to be grief there. I mean, and there's pain. I mean, but for me, you know, part of my motivation is to, to serve God and to serve in my own particular case, Jesus and the gospels and, you know, what is in darkness needs to be brought into the light. So if I really want to serve the kingdom of God, um, then I just have to look at that material, you know, it just has to be done, but doesn't, doesn't really speak to that resistance. I don't know if it's on the core. Do you got more there? Yeah, it's a, it is a great question. And it is a, it is a complex one. I mean, I think like I was mentioning earlier with the kind of Kubler-Ross kind of reference, like to encounter this work and to have your worldview fundamentally altered is a death experience. It's a, it's a, it is an initiation, and not everybody gets through initiations the other side whole, right? There's people who get lost down rabbit holes, like we were talking about. People who start to touch into this work, and then it's just too much, or it gets too heavy, or they they lose ground, or they lose center. And it can be hard. It can be isolating. Just on a human level, it can be really isolating. You're the only person if you, you know, 
maybe on some chat rooms with some, you know, whatever beings who are kind of out in the ether that maybe you have some solidarity with. But in your day to day life, you may be like the only person you know, and everybody's kind of, and then you're scared to like say what you think or what you've been reading about because then people are going to call you a kook and they're going to put you in some category of, you know, like, oh, you must have like, with, you know, a bomb shelter <laughs> with canned beans and, you know, all your, like, it just immediately, like, all these stereotypes of tinfoil hat kind of nutters, right? Like, it can be really, you can, people's careers have gotten destroyed in this world, no doubt about it. Like, people's lives have been taken. Like, it does get, um, gets rough it can get rough now for people who are just kind of doing a little bit of the dip in the toes in the waters this is, we're not trying to create a fear climate but but it is it is an intense soul experience and without care and without some help and some guidance people are often left to you know to do it on their own and there's certain people that like when they go what am i signing up for if I do all that, like, what's the payout? And, you know, for me on the other side of it, it is, there's a deeper clarity, I would say, and there is a deeper even joy in life. And it's a road and it's a tough road. I mean, it just really is. There's no ways, two ways about it. It's safer. It's a classic matrix thing. Like, it's just safer to stay plugged in on a certain level, but it, comes at incredible cost but it's hard to it's hard to learn how deeply our lives have been used for consumption right it's like how deeply the rot really goes it's not like it's pretty horrifying to first look at it, it takes some time to be able to look at that with clear eyes when I was a kid, I used to have to go down to the metaphysical bookstore and pick up Robert Anton Wilson or something like that to get an intelligent look at the strangeness and richness of the world. But now all that information is everywhere. So how much of this is about the transition from book and TV culture into Internet culture, like a move away from a kind of controlled uh, authoritative consensus output stream to the multi-stream, massively juxtaposed transcultural world of the new uh, network technologies. Yeah, I think that it's a big component of it. I mean, I hear stories of people talking about being on the you know, the first chat rooms or the first boards on the internet, and that's when you know the first you know sort of in the nineties. You know, you had you. Know, people sharing uh, ufology information and, and things got, you know, a lot, a lot faster, a lot quicker um, in, in that time. And, and since then, of course, you know, obviously um, with YouTube and, and social media and, and all that, no, you're hundred percent right. I mean, there's, there's a, you yeah, it's, yeah, you're not going down to the, the bookstore to get the one, you know, the one secondhand copy that's left. I mean, there's there's an absolute huge amount of, of information, and I think that you can you can see. I would read anyway. I would interpret it the incredible pushback by um, 
you know, the shadow banning, the, the, the deplatforming, uh, um, the demonetizing on YouTube. I mean, on Twitter, it's just unbelievable. I've seen that happen in, in real time hundreds of times, you know. Um, you know, so it's very intense, all of that. And I think it, the genie's trying, they're trying to put the genie back in the bottle. And not they, I mean, uh, the, the elites, the control, control structure stuff that's occluded, you know, uh, the, the rapid attempt, uh, scrambling in every direction to censor all over the place kind of tells me, you know, that your question is, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's it is a great question, and and the technology is really ambiguous for me. Or, you know, it, it plays in multiple ways. I mean, there's the way we just spoke about, which is totally legitimate. There's also the way in which, you know, there's more and more evidence that one could argue, I think, pretty persuasively that things like the internet were designed with intentions towards surveillance built into it, even from its inception. And even if it wasn't necessarily there at its inception and its design, it's certainly been easily argued that it's been hijacked or warped if one prefers to certainly had to foster and, and cultivate a kind of you know, uh, panopticon kind of thing where, where hence our anonymity here and all these attempts to create spaces of decentralization and possibilities and pockets for freedom, um, freedom of thought, freedom of expression, that kind of thing. And, um, freedom to make mistakes, <laughs> freedom to think thoughts and follow lines of flight and, um, because, you know, information, data, people's privacy is just getting gobbled up and it's being used without people's consent or permission to, to run psychological operations on them, as hard as that is to say, or as crazy as that sounds. Um, uh, if you want an example of that, um, the documentary, The Big Hack, which is, I think, on Netflix, there's a scene in there, and I bring it up in, in one of my pieces on, um, on the site. And uh, they go through very clearly how this group, which was Cambridge Analytica, which has often been in the news for other reasons around Brexit and Trump and everything, but they were hired for a project in um, Trinidad and Tobago. And there was kind of a split population ethnically. And they basically, you see them talk through and their head guy basically behind the scenes talk through how they created this campaign that was pitched as this whole uh, youth um, stand up to the system, fight the power, you know, everybody's corrupt. We're, we're voting, we're not voting. And it was this whole, like, don't vote campaign to stick it to the man thing. And they got musicians into it and there's festivals and there's parties and there's social media tags and it's going wild and it's going all over the place. 
And then meanwhile, the guy behind the scenes is like, well, actually we knew that one of the populations wouldn't, would actually not show up to vote, but we knew the other one, their parents would make them, even though they went to all the parties and everything. And that they would, they would on a basically 50, 50 close split on the vote, that difference would make five or 6% difference. It would sway the election in the favor of the client that they were serving, which is literally exactly what happens. They show you like point by point. This is a, they called it to a T and they were using social media with techniques. The guy, the founder guy had background clearly in intelligence operations. They were using weaponized stuff that the government officially declared were weaponized psychological operations. And they were doing that through Facebook. So that's the kind of world we live in, right? That stuff is happening. That doesn't mean everything is fake news and everything is disinfo. And if you don't like some political view, you just call it fake news or whatever, right? But like, no, there's actual groups that very systematically, intentionally, and I would say pretty cold-bloodedly, went about an operation to engineer people's minds to for political ends. And they, they were very effective in that, in that case. So we do need to be aware that there's a lot more going on than just oh, the left and the right, and oh, they just yell at each other, and can't we just have politicians that just listen to each other, and can't we just get along and find a way forward and be rational and sensible and moderate, whatever. Like, there's way more going on that until we have that view that can understand those events and a lot of the influence that's going on then other stuff won't make sense. It'll just be, oh, here we go, politics as usual, or, oh, it's just, there's just this weird whole thing about the government just kind of admitted that UFOs are real, <laughs> and then just kind of, and then just it went on to the next thing the next day. It was like, oh, by the way, <laughs> here we go. And it was like, wait a minute, what the hell is going on here? So you guys feel like being open to ontological complexity and potential realities even in disreputable or neglected areas is sort of a pragmatic defense maneuver in a world in which there are agents strategically trying to trap us through control of our belief systems i think that's uh, part of it can you want me you want to go you want me yeah to go? go ahead i just love that phrasing yeah, I do too. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a significant part of it. Um, I mean, your earlier, the previous question around internet and new forms of media. I mean, there is obviously this long thread. I mean, I made the matrix reference earlier, but there is a long kind of gnostic matrix hyper simulated, you know, thread of thought. I don't go all the way down that thread, but there is a way in which um, I think it is true that we need to be able to see clearly and need to really see past layers of obscuration. Um, 
sometimes those layers I think have been intentionally put there. Sometimes I think they're kind of the unintended consequence or kind of Frankenstein's monster of systems that have gone kind of haywire or taken on a life of their own. I think both are true, but um, otherwise the overwhelm and the anxiety and the, the collapse and the despair that is so prevalent in the current moment, you know, it's, it's very, it can cultivate a lot of helplessness. If people don't feel like there's a way to see clearly, there's a way forward. There's a way to have a life giving, you know, enhancing way of being protection, I think is part of that, but also protection to support empowerment. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, we're not alone in waking up to, or as we've gone down this journey anyway, let's put it that way. Um, you, you get to learn about int intelligence agencies and um, psychological warfare and uh, the history of that, how it developed in World War, World War One and World War Two, and, um, you know, OSS in the United States, which led to the CIA, and you start to learn. You know, there's a book, a uh, main mainline book called the, the the Mighty Wurlitzer, and it's it's about how the CIA played the American culture like a mighty Wurlitzer. And again, this is mainline; this is not conspiracy. And uh, you know, the CIA was funding um, the uh, Jackson Pollock and the the, the expressionists. And uh, I mean, this is all on the record now. I mean, there's a you. I, I start as I've gone down this path. I've started to be well, one one stage mortified at the level of social engineering that we undergo uh, in the in the media in our movies. I think there's been a lot of work in in showing in the last decade or two decades showing um, the, the amount of involvement by uh, the CIA in Hollywood. Um, again, there's two mainline books uh, uh, about that, and then there's other work as well. Um, that, that I draw draw off of Jay Dyer's work, but there is a lot of mainline research showing, you know, again, I mean, you know, uh, the CIA's involvement in, in, in that world. So we're getting a lot of uh, very active cultural um, construction, and uh, it's quite mind-blowing. And yes, it is defensive to try to to see outside of that, to to try to, you know, take take our mask off i mean it is an awakening uh you know uh, i'm a pretty well educated trained guy and and still i feel like every stage i'm coming out and out now yes you can use the matrix metaphor i guess i'm coming out now out of that you're, you're waking up to you know the fact that the truman show on some level was a documentary you know um that wag the dog happens all the time you know, you know so it's uh and people are more and more waking up to this. I think it's not really a fringe thing anymore. That's the funny thing. The people right now that are decrying a conspiratorial thought and whatnot, you know, they're not seeing, I bet you there's 20, 30, 40%. It's way, way big, way, uh, the numbers of people uh, 
becoming aware of this material is 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 expanding in in rapid fashion and you can see this you know on the comment sections uh under under various people's social media or uh whether it's underneath you know bill gates instagram posts and you know that's a controversial topic and whatever but i'm just saying like people rapidly are are waking up to to how much you know social engineering and social control there is i mean for me part of that started with you know adam curtis's documentaries the century of the self and that was about a decade ago i guess but so there's layers of it you know um but you know it's also the revelations uh the continuing revelations around um you know, elite pedophile networks. And, and I think it was, you know, the Jimmy Savile revelations in, in, in Britain that really brought me into this, into this whole realm in a way. I mean, it was Dutroux affair and, and, and Savile. Now we have so much more, I could do a whole list, but you know, that, that is just, I don't know, it's just mortifying. It's horrifying. I think if you're into the true, the good and the beautiful, that just has to be I personally think anyway, I'd, you know, have to, I got, I got to pull off the veil, you know, that, that shit can't be going down. I mean, it's, 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 it's horrifying. So yeah, there's definitely a, a big defense uh, mechanism, mechanism. It's like pulling a, an octopus off your face one leg at a time. You know? <laughs> okay. Well, part of me wants to say, fuck the demiurge. Then. All right. <laughs> Uh, but that, that leads me to a question for you, uh, Ezekiel 73. And it's not uh, what happened to the other 72 Ezekiels, who I assume are clones that you had murdered. It's this. You're obviously coming at this with a Christian flavor. And mm -hmm. I want to know if there are ways in which you see what you mean by Jesus and, and that whole story and system as playing a role in this. You know, what? what is that hmm. character? What is that system? How, is there any way in which that helps us? Well, in many ways, the system that Jesus was fighting, empire, the Roman Empire in particular at that time, we're, you know, we're not, we're not far off that. It's not that much different. I mean, you know, the Bible was written underneath five successive empires. I mean, they understood, and brutal, vicious empires. I mean, you know, we know all know the stories of, um Nero burning Christians as torches during his parties you know whether or not that's true I mean um these are vi these are vicious brutal uh empires there's a part of uh and, and some of the you know some of the religion some of the mystery religions the cults back in that day you know those those occult practices and beliefs are still alive in the secret societies and in the masons and in you know as you know the secret teachings of of all ages as manly p hall said so we're not i i you know we're not really it's not the time's not all that different in a way but i would say i would say for me personally that you you i think the bible has a an understanding of spiritual warfare um uh that is happening on a cosmic level that I think needs to be integrated and reintegrated by, by modernity. I think our throwing away of evil and our understanding of, um, uh, you know, uh, our rejection in, in, in modern times of, of evil and the reality of, of darker forces in the spiritual realm 
this is you know the classic uh passage ephesians 6 in the bible where the you know paul says that you know the battle our battle is not against the flesh and blood of this world but the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms i think this is real um and spiritual warfare is real and um so i think you know the, the biblical perspective uh has a lot to to bring or to be reintegrated honestly i think the modernity threw out the baby with the bathwater on that one to use a very hackneyed phrase but um um so yeah that's part of an answer uh does that answer your question or do you want to follow up on that or uh no that's uh let's leave it at that because uh i'll shift over to son of korg here and the question i'm not going to ask him is tell us what you remember about your father korg <laughs> instead i'll ask something like uh, who do you who do you listen to and respect online who you think is aligned with this stuff either in terms of the para-anthropological content or in terms of the style that you're attracted to and would like to see this work uh go forward with Ezekiel named uh gordon white earlier he's um i think he's an important figure uh, I mentioned Joseph Farrell, who's a scholar, who's a real influence on me and my thought. And, um, yeah, there's, Sieg also mentioned Jay Dyer. He's been, uh, his podcast and he's got a YouTube channel. So there's actually quite a lot now of really well-developed thinkers in this regard once you get kind of and they're linked to each other and the nice thing is once you kind of get uh you get into one like if you start listening to the higher side chats for example with craig carlwood he has all these folks on that he interviews who then all have their own books and sites and things that are worth kind of following up on um and it's interesting because then i start to see that's one layer and then it, it does bubble up and it's starting to kind of peek its head. There's little glimpses sometimes. So uh, there was a podcast on, um, I think it was the last couple of years on the RFK assassination. And there was a genuine guy who was a researcher in the, what people would call conspiracy theory around the assassination of RFK. He was one of the main characters. Now the protagonist narrator guy in the podcast goes in a different direction, of course, but it's kind of interesting that that made it into a kind of front and center, fairly mainstream, like published, you know, with advertised podcasting. There's a new one out that I've just started listening to um, on the Betty and Barney Hill abduction case which is like considered usually the first at least in the u.s anyway like the first mainstream so-called ufo or alien abduction encounter and it's a very thoughtful front and center here we go here's what their experience here's what they claimed here's the background it's not attempting to debunk particularly it's not attempting to 
make them look, you know, like, oh, we found out they had some hidden mental disorder here or there, or saw a psychiatrist one time, so man, that must all be this. They're actually trying to just take it very, in a kind of ontologically flooded way, I would say. So there are these moments where there's popping up, there's lots of podcasts that have come out uh, and documentaries around cults, obviously. There's a famous one on the Rajneeshis that was out a little while ago. There's a great one on Heaven's Gate that was done. So it is starting to surface, even if it's still held in a little bit of a kind of let's play it safe. Even there, the boundaries are starting to move. So whatever these other folks are doing, somehow or other, I would argue, is starting to move things along even in a broader cultural frame. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Thank you. For folks out there too, there's a great, you know, to add, podcasts is, is kind of a, a lot of where a lot of this is happening. Um, there was a podcast called Lore, and then there was a podcast, what was it called Spooked? What was that other one? Yeah, there? Spooked was really good. Yeah, where was we're starting to, you know, uh, tell stories of the paranormal and, and and whatnot. I would really recommend two podcasts. One's called Where Did the Road Go? And one's called Strange Familiars. And there's lots of overlap with these guys, but they're all looking, this is more the paranormal side of the street from Bigfoot and cryptids and ghosts and, and poltergeist and all that. But it's a very, um, it's a very rational uh, group. They're very, um, thoughtful they're like more like detectives they don't always buy it you know there's not always conclusions those that's a great sphere down there korg mentioned the higher side chats uh, i would add to this a whole sphere of fun and funny um conspiracy podcast realm uh, tinfoil hat is another one um with the comedian sam tripoli who's a buddy of joe rogan and so and he's hilarious and it's just so there's a whole kind of realm and those things are big and they're getting huge amounts of hits and downloads i don't think people understand you know the the, the size of that subculture <clears throat> uh and it's it's mixed man it's people from all over the world it's not just people on the right that's garbage um anyway those are those are some other things i would add and lastly i would just want to talk about christopher knowles and his uh, secret son blog and that guy's he's the og of just uh amazing uh, you know he's well studied in in the occult in conspiracy theory in mythology and he's one of the sort of leaders in the synchro mystic movement and that and he's hilarious he's funny he's totally funny so he's kind of a patron saint for us a little bit that way um so yeah christopher knowles big big props to him excellent Thank you, Zeke. You're an interesting mix, Zeke, uh, because you seem to be pro-rational, pro-Bible, and pro-quasi-Crowleyan ceremonial magic all at the same time. And <laughs> that that's not a common conjunction. And when I'm thinking about magic, I think back to your previous answer of where you invoked the concept of spiritual warfare. And there's a sense of being an, an active player in spiritual warfare. There's a sense in magic, uh, maybe in shamanism of, as well, 
of bringing individual action and the power of intention into this arena of, uh, you know, ambiguous realities. Mm-hmm. How, how important is it, do you think, to try to become a, um, an active player, to try to wield intention, to try to get into the game uh, of a world made of shadows? Yeah, fantastic question. Um, it's very important. It's 100% important. Now, I, I don't um, practice uh, ritual magic or sigil magic or anything uh, like that. Uh, not that I'm against it. I would. I, I, I do support uh gordon white's site so i could do his his programs um but i haven't had time our site you know our site alone is is a lot of work but so uh but for me it's more about uh intention it might be uh you know putting yourself you know in in service to to a higher power to just just being being ready to be to be used to be uh um, absolutely, I think when when you do when that happens, uh, synchronicities start to happen a lot. You start to I start to experience um, a lot of data from the cosmos, or that 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 there's intelligences, some intelligence out there. I start to get used in this way. That's not a very articulate answer. What I'm I am saying directly to your question is we. Absolutely, on some level, not a full idealist level, but co-construct reality. Um, I do think there is there's something in the power of source or God or the Godhead, whatever term you want to use for it, and aligning with that that does defeat darkness and evil. And you know what's interesting to me is that in in exorcist traditions and various different um, cultures even in cultures that don't aren't christian you can use if you're in in an exorcism you can use jesus in the name of jesus get out and it works you know this is why i've listened to interviews with people who do that where it's like that just fascinates me um so no i think our own prayer our own uh, intention is a hundred percent interacting with with all of this uh for sure. I don't know if that's a good answer, but if the one you wanted, but yeah. Is there anything you want to add on that son of Korg? The language for, for me, that's really important is liberation and energetic sovereignty. So to me, back to this question about defensiveness or protection, to me, it's really important that if we're allying with forces, the majority of which I think are actually quite benevolent if we're getting into more of the, what people call the paranormal or the other realms or the spirit world or whatever. Um, And I think the majority of that energy is actually deeply compassionate and empathetic. Um, I think of the energy that I would consider to be not of that, I think even the majority of that is highly wounded energy which can be like a wounded animal it's not necessarily intentionally evil or kind of cold-blooded but it can be it can get hurt people can get hurt from you know an animal a wounded animal that might lash out but we wouldn't necessarily give it moral culpability and then there is a small faction but it has, I think, outsized influence that is 
intentionally, we can call that sociopathic or psychopathic or cold-blooded, like real malevolence, like intentionally, like make the hair on your neck stand up and your arms stand up, like that icky, sinister feeling. Um, C.S. Lewis said that there was two, I always try to go with this line, that there are two great mistakes when it comes to evil. Number one, to underestimate it, and number two, to overestimate it. And I think we're really trying to point out both, you know, on the site. Like, the underestimated side is what Ezekiel was there referring to, like, throwing evil out metaphysically in modernity. It doesn't exist, you know, the left-hand path and sinister type energies don't exist. We just don't talk about them, which just means they get to live in the shadows and, and exist in a realm without transparency. On the other hand, there is like a profound possibility. I mean, I think for me, this is a line of thought that I owe to a um, guy named Dark Journalist who I've been spending a lot of time with lately, Daniel List. Um, for me, I think a lot of the heart of what we typically call the deep state or the hidden hand or whatever, as crazy as it sounds, this is also like a Richard Dolan thought, is that at the heart of the national security state and the development since the end of the Second World War, which kind of exists as an alliance of fascists or Nazis with the West, you know, at the heart of that is basically hidden technology and something deeply connected to whatever we're calling the UFO phenomenon, which I guess, this is more speculative, but I think there's enough clues to make a legitimate circumstantial case that I imagine the nature of that tech, if we want to call it that, is routed in liberation. I think it's I think it's I think it's fundamentally rooted in consciousness, and I think it's fundamentally what people would call free. I don't know that that's really the right word for it, like free energy. I don't think that's probably the right term for it, but I would think it's actually an abundance form of energy that actually could break the chains of a lot of the enslavement that currently occurs. So as much as we go down like a dark road, I just also want to say like, I think at the core of this, I think the darkness is actually trying to obscure what is actually a potential incredible benevolence at the heart of life. Yeah, amen. I completely agree with that. Okay. Um, how much of this is you guys being fucked up? And what I mean... <laughs> <laughs> what I mean by that, we did percentages. We did percentages earlier. Yeah, yeah. Like Work out the percentages. What are, what, are the, what are the Vegas odds? What's the over under? Yeah. I'm taking bets. Okay. Um, what I mean is, regardless of what elements of all these things turn out to be true and practical, are you concerned about your own motivation? Are you, you know, are you critical of your own interest in? 
warfare and shadow forces and looming powers? Might you be addicted to mythological fantasies about invisible things? Is, is that a concern that you carry, that you check in with? I would say that I prefer not to do any of this work, honestly. I just rather eat food and drink beer in the afternoon. I don't want to do any of it. I mean, um, but I believe in a different world uh, is possible. And, uh, you know, but yeah, it's a fair question. Uh, I'll hear Senator Korg answer and then I'll, I'll jump in after that. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to be suspicious of our suspicion, but also suspicious of our certainty or certitudes or seeming certainty certitudes that being said as mentioned earlier there's a lot of this stuff that's objectively true whether or not how i feel about it or whether or not whatever my current psychological or spiritual state may or may not be like a member of the manson family did try to kill gerald ford in public Right, like that actually did happen when he was president. Nobody remembers that, but that's a that's a bizarre statement. Just even to like comprehend the nature of that statement and to follow the lines that that flow just from that one event. You get Watergate, you get the JFK assassination, you got Manson, you got MK Ultra. Like you can go down so many threads from one crazy deep event that literally happened. I didn't make that up, you know? So there are, even though we don't like objectivity so much in our postmodern era, there are some core facts. There are some like, you know, Gary Webb's work did really show that Iran-Contra was a whole conspiracy and that that's really tied to the drug trade and that's tied to the death squads in Nicaragua and El Salvador. And that really happened. One of the pieces I wrote on the site is conspiracy hypotheses versus conspiracy theories, where I took your basic kind of scientific method argument that you start with hypotheses and then if eventually they're confirmed, you enter a state of knowledge base that is typically known in science as a theory. And I would say the same applies for so-called conspiracy work. Like there are some that have just held up. We did let over a bunch of Nazis in Operation Paperclip and they did found NASA. That's crazy, but that actually happened. And Jack Parsons was hanging out with L. Ron Hubbard on the other side of the US founding the other side of the American rocketry program while simultaneously doing magical workings to try to bring the child of the new Aeon and, and Lucifer like on the side. And actually for him, those were two aspects of one event. Those were not, oh, and he randomly was into some weird magic voodoo, whatever stuff on the side. Like for him, there were both, there were two sides and one fundamental coin that's probably worth knowing you don't necessarily have to believe that but it it is an oddity that that can't just be written off and needs to be taken in the weird naturalist ontological flood way like there is a lot of ontological flooding that's happened in our political and supposedly mainstream history that's actually just occluded but if you keep looking it's just there over and over and over again 
and that can't be coincidental in my view. That doesn't mean I have it all figured out or I know and can claim I've got the master key to the whole thing, but in my mind, it can't just be accidental that that keeps happening over and over and over again. <clears throat> to add to that, I would agree. I mean, we could go on really all, all day with actual facts that happened. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll stop myself from adding to your list there. Uh, it's good. But um, I would also just say conversationally, I mean, two things. The ontological flooding helps me. I try not to believe anything with 100%, hmm. like nothing. Like maybe even the tree out front is my, is there a tree out my window? I'm not even going to, you know, take that with a full hundred percent. So just try to really maintain a, a space of, of openness, but, um, uh, but not, not detachment, not like this playful, just anything goes. But I also try to just uh, really check in with myself about if I'm triggered. So if I'm in conversation and someone's like, ah, it's bullshit or whatever. And, and I just, I never want to speak from a place of charge. Um, want to just, if I'm coming from charge, if I'm coming from trigger, I know my stuff is there. So I do try to check in with that. And I try to just, um, yeah, just hold a, uh, just a, you know, a solid space in, in the, in the middle. Uh, anyway, I, I do observe myself conversationally for sure. This view of things doesn't mean that I think it's a fundamentally closed deterministic system. Not at all. As saying there about openness. Like, I do think there are intense and various, I mean, what is a conspiracy? It just literally means people breathing together. It just means people who get together go, let's do something here and let's not talk about it <laughs> with anybody else and let's just make this thing happen. So those happen. Those are historically verifiable but i don't necessarily believe in some even when i think that there's like layers of conspiracy and various architecture that i could conceive of it doesn't mean that i think that that's the final reality i just want to like that's it's i think there's a lot more openness and possibility but i don't think we buy i don't think we can get by by just bypassing a lot of what I hear in this is the need to update ourselves to get on top of where we actually are in history and reality. I remember, uh, you know, watching a robot go on Jeopardy and defeat the humans. And that was a long time ago now, right? And I, I understood at that moment that it would be hard to really appreciate that that was the moment that was happening, right? That now we're in this moment right we're past the moment where the american government releases some of its ufo footage mm -hmm. it, it's very difficult for people to get up to date and in order mm -hmm. to get up to date you have to assimilate information that seems weird and which your existing worldview will actually resist to some degree mm -hmm. so I, I i agree with you guys that's really important going forward as a culture and as a species we've got to develop some skills to deal with the world as weird as it is and with the onslaught of potentially real and potentially false cultural information so i've got a question in here somewhere around like children like what do you teach your kids about information and culture and perspectives what do you tell them about the internet or about conspiracies how do you prime them 
uh, for confronting the world that is and is emerging? Well, you begin by telling them that they're going to die in 10 years. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. The son of Corey, you want to? For me, the first thing always to emphasize is resilience. So the aforementioned Gordon White, for example, is into chaos magic and his conspiracy theories. He's also a permaculture guy. And if you like read his blog, it's actually a lot about his like, we're trying to do this permaculture stuff on my farm. <laughs> like it's very like, he's not like, it's like super, it's literally as earthy as it gets. Um, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that uh, the first place to start is kind of, and I don't mean in like a prepper way. Again, I don't mean, mean to go like all that line of thought, but to start fundamentally first with what are the things that are going to be valuable? What are the things that are going to be resourcing? What are the things that stand the test of time in terms of human community, in terms of um, growing your own food, and in terms of how to orient to life, how to write, how to think clearly? Um, I would always start there first before ever getting into like, oh man, how are we going to bring up, you know, X genocide or, you know, when do we tell them about the history of colonialism or, you know, I think those are legitimate questions, but often people start with that question, which to me, the, the zero question or the question before that question is like, how do we build fundamental sense of wholeness? resiliency and the ability to recover and adapt and have agility so that when in fun, when the time comes to encounter in whatever way that's age appropriate, you know, rather than living in a bubble, there's ways to be able to bounce back. There's, there's built in agility to be able to handle that and go with it and, 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 and transform. In answer to your question, um, but, uh, just thinking about Korg's answer there, but, uh, you know, I took one back in the day, I took a integral parenting course from one Miriam Martineau, amazing person. And I remember her talking in that about, I can't remember what age she say you should s stop that, but there's a certain, uh, there's a certain dimension, uh, she was talking about, about holding, you know, just keeping apart the, the adult world from the kids world, like we can deal with the adult world. Um, but let's, and I don't know what age that would, uh, that she said that, you know, you might start letting some other information in. And, and again, in this world, I mean, as soon as they're going to school and, you know, maybe that's impossible, but I think there's a certain degree to which we overburden, you know, uh, kids with the, um, the problems of, of the adult world. And of course, you're living in some countries and that's impossible to shield, okay? So um, that's one thing I, I would say, uh, you know, getting out into nature. I mean, nature is healing and it's ancient and it's, uh, you know, it's our friend in that way. And so just getting out into the beauty of, of, of birds, of nature, of you know, how, how wonderfully amazing this world is, is a huge part of it. And then I would say, yeah, I will, you know, talk to kids about 
the reality of good and evil. I mean, kids seem to understand that archetype of good and evil or, you know, there's bad guys in the world, you know, um, uh, uh, it's already there. It's ancient. So it's already there to be worked with, uh, you know, uh, my son very early had, you know, a Batman and the Joker figures and, uh, he gets that. And I don't think I want to shield much as I say that, you know, uh, apart from the parenting course, I don't want to shield my kids from the reality of the dark parts of the world. I mean, there are, um, you know, a lot of kids go missing in this world. Uh, if you look at missing children's statistics in, in, in Western countries, it's pretty staggering. So I'm not going to, you know, leave my kid be a sitting duck in, in the world, uh, you know, uh, where uh, to the dark corners of the world. Not at all. I don't want to do that at all. But I also don't want to um, portray a world that is just dark and it's just something to be afraid of because it's not. It's beautiful. And so eat good food, laugh, you know, go running through the forest, do all those things and realize, tell the truth. You know, there's there's darkness. There's darkness in all of us, man. We can all go there under the right conditions, you know, so. Um, it's a bit, I, I do a bit of both. I think reality and the beauty. I have this recurrent feeling that, um, one major sign of a failing or degenerative culture is its inability to produce a coherent, unifying, empowering story for the data that people encounter. This leads to a, a furious hunger for big patterns that mm -hmm. try to make sense of the chaos we're confronting. Mm -hmm. And so there's there's a big element of that in people who are conspiracy theorists, mm -hmm. which is a little different than people who are interested in exploring, you know, oddities of the historical record. Mm -hmm. uh, right. So there's this difference between people who want to know about the real weird things that happened and the kind of psychotic need to supplement their feeling that order is missing by imagining a super order. So I, I guess what I want to ask here is, what's the role of paranoia in contemporary sense-making? Wow, great question. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, I would go, so paranorma, paranoia and paranormal, right? We have a real close linkage there. And the, even the term paranormal is and even arguably paranoia are questionable terms, I would say, in the sense that literally, of course, the term means alongside of, so paranormal, alongside the normal, meaning we've created this idea that there's normal, materialistic, scientific, linear causality, and then we've given just the littlest kind of corner or breadcrumb or whatever and i don't actually think it's alongside the normal i don't think it's the whole reality but like dean radin has for decades shown that psi phenomena telepathy is real doesn't mean everybody fully develops it. it doesn't mean everybody's running around reading everybody's thoughts or whatever but it actually is a it is a latent human capacity that can be cultivated. Some version of what people call contact with the dead has happened for all of human history across every culture. 
So what's what's alongside of the normal there? It's just to me, it's part of the fabric of things. And paranoia is simply alongside your mind, right? From noose. <laughs> so to be outside your normal mind and kind of like half your brain went out of your head and like is over on the right side of your body with a different angle or perception. Is that alongside of the normal or is it a term that we often throw around for simply opening to the weird? I mean, again, we're not talking about like, I just want to be clear. I'm not talking about when people actually like the container of their psyche fundamentally ruptures and then they're unable to hold distinct contours of experience. But a lot of what gets thrown around is paranoia. I actually wonder is just maybe, maybe sometimes it's lucidity or aspects of lucidity. <laughs> like, I don't know, like, who would have been able to tell you the, you know, all these weird things Like you couldn't script some of these stories. They're just so insane, which makes me think even when, you know, your, your question about the super order and the need for order normally in the oh, conspiracy world, there's always somebody on top of the pyramid, but I often think that pyramid, that person on top of that pyramid, that Pharaoh or whoever, is themselves probably played by other forces. I don't, I think it could be like way more weird even than, than that. I think it can be far crazier than we normally would, would consider. So I'm always trying to stay contained, but also allow and stop trying to, um, when I catch myself is when I'm trying to write the weirdness out and i actually think the weirdness is intrinsic and is actually itself meaningful and needs to be experienced on its own level and not try to be solved like it's a problem that just hasn't been solved yet i i would uh i would just add um <clears throat> yeah we want i i would personally want to be careful of of an over-totalizing conspiracy or conspiratorial or paranoid paranoid view. You know, there is a lot of this that I gets frustrating for me in the um, sort of conspiracy world of those podcasts I mentioned, where it's like the the cabal or the Illuminati or whatever we want to call it, you know, they control everything, everything. Like every single person that's in politics is corrupt. You know, everything that happens is controlled, and I think this is complete nonsense. I mean, ultimately, I have an activist side. I want to get to a different world. I want to unveil this unjust world and get to the other one. So, and I, I just don't think it's also true. There's a lot of complexity in that octopus of control. There's a lot of camps. There's a lot of things that just happen... Uh, no one can control reality. It's far too complex for us humans to control in a full sense, you know? So I think that's, um, it's completely weakening when you have this fully, 
paranoid view of just everything is controlled and we're fucked. Now, don't forget, I mean, some cultures that was true. I mean, whether you're under the Stasi in Eastern Germany or maybe it's even ancient Egypt. I mean, that I mean, but still people got out of that. Still people rebelled, you know. I I I'm uh I like the work of a guy named uh what is his name? Scott, James C. Scott. He's an anarchist historian and he really you know, he talks about the weapons of the weak and he sort of goes through how he, the most dominated people, and he did a lot of his research in Southeast Asia, but the most dominated people under the biggest, most totalitarian systems or dominant systems will always constantly rebel. And he has all, I wish I had better, all his examples, but they're subtle. You may, you might break axes. You might, he goes through all the small little ways that humans can constantly forever rebel because we don't want to be dominated in that way and so you know i hope it's empowering to unmask some of uh of of the uh the secret control or the hidden control or that level behind the surface you know um and i don't think we can be naive about how how real that stuff is though so both at once you know Mm -hmm. it's not total dominance and so that we can just, I don't know, shoot ourselves, I guess, or just whatever. But it, it's not, but it's also deeply, deeply real. And particularly the media, I would say that the media could be the the, the worst, the wor- be very, very uh, critical uh, of what's coming out of that, that realm. But uh, so, yeah, I guess, again, just trying to finesse a, a fine line between uh, both of those things, knowing that there's there is deep, we have hundreds of examples of that deep behind the scenes action, and and it's not fully dominant, and it's not totally controlled, and it is out of control in a certain way. And I would say, and this is, you know, that the metaphysics of the cosmos, in my view, want to go towards the good, and I don't think ultimately. Um, the dark forces are, are are going to win or that's not what the universe wants to do so there's that on our side too so that's you know again that it, it, it can't win fully ultimately in the end but there you go that's fascinating it makes me you know think about uh, i don't want to say three options but it's like three options you know is the world getting better mm-hmm. is the world getting worse or is the world getting weirder and weirdness can skew better or skew worse? Because there's, on the one hand, this sense that there's a, an accumulating awareness of anomalies, which is a bit like the water heating up around the frog. But we're also in a historical moment where it's more obvious than ever that massive ambiguity waves are crashing onto the population now. And every crisis is somehow a crisis that isn't just positive or negative, but somehow highly uncertain, highly peculiar. Mm-hmm. Everyone's facing a vacuum of meaning. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes have the sense that this is going to keep happening, maybe bigger and bigger and faster and faster. So what do you guys think? Is there a back to normal or is uh, is weirdness the ever accelerating future of what it's like to be in history at this time? Hmm. Take a sec. Um, 
It's a great thought to be thinking. It's a great question to be pondering. Um, I think the weirdness, I think the weirdness has always been there. And I think a lot of what happened, particularly through modernity, but it wasn't just in modernity, but might point to that as a high watermark, has been pathways, again, intentional or perhaps unintentional to obscure that weirdness. And I think those repressive mechanisms, I think those whatever blinders or whatever we're going to call them ontologically, those are now coming down. And I don't think that's doing anything but speeding up. Like that stuff is crumbling and it's going to accelerate and it's crumble. So I think, I think it's a, in some ways it's maybe it's an acceleration or an evolution. And in other ways, I sometimes wonder if it's actually back to something that it's a retrieval, I'd say in a sense. Is the weirdness, can it skew better? Can it skew worse? That's really interesting. Um, I think it depends on to the degree to which we allow the weirdness to potentially transform us and what that transformation might look like. Or does the weirdness bombard and overwhelm people and then there's collapse? So I think it has a lot to do with our choice in the matter. And back to, again, practices that create centering and grounding and containing and regulating so that the weirdness can actually speak to us, but we can at least have it be, because it's already going to be a little destabilizing. It's already going to be a little shaky and create some interesting edges. But to be able to hold container, you know, I don't know, like Philip K. Dick's exegesis. There are moments where I think he holds the container and there's moments where he loses it for a bit. And he's off into some, he definitely opened to the weird. Uh, the weird opened to him, however you want to say it had both ways. The link was made. And there's moments where he's able, I think, to handle it. And there's moments where he's not by his own admission. And in retrospect, he kind of regrounds himself and is like, oh, that was a that was a place I didn't need to go, maybe, or that was a learning experience. And it's it's a yeah, it's a moving target, is what I'm trying to say. It's an ongoing process. And we're living currently, I would argue, in the moment of maybe the largest psychological operation ever run. In history, I mean, one could make such an argument. And are we going to return to normal? No, I don't think so. I don't think the world can undergo that degree of a cut, that degree of a initiatory slice that is slicing at the heart of reality itself. And either that slice becomes healed, I would say, and becomes a scar. And then in kind of shamanic language becomes a place of power where others can then be healing agents for others, transformative agents for others, or it becomes an open wound that doesn't heal right and can get infected and things can go worse from there. And I think that's 
wide open in the present moment, actually. Uh, I'm in a, of a bunch of minds in response to this question uh, simultaneously. I mean, there's a part of me that wants to say, you know, I, I, I don't know. This might continue to get weirder. And, and what I'm thinking about when I talk about that is it seems like, uh, or maybe I'm just aware of it, but there, in, in, an increase in paranormal activity, there's definitely an increase in people filming uh, unidentified or UFOs. Uh, a, you know, there's a lot of that activity going on. Uh, you know, you have something like the Mandela effect, which, you know, we can't really un probably have time to unpack, but just bizarre. So, you know, I, I don't know. There, there could be portals, multiple universes, uh, who knows what the, you know, uh, the U.S. military we got up to in Montauk and what they opened, you know? I mean, that's what the show Stranger Things is kind of about, right? I mean, they were going to call it Montauk, but then they weren't allowed, but um, so I don't know. So there's a part of me, again, this has to go, I, I don't know. And, and then there's another part of me that says, you know, I have this kind of joking one-liner that the greatest conspiracy theory of all time, or greatest conspiracy of all time is materialism. And, and that materialism disenchanted uh, the world for the, the most of us. But, you know, the elites are into uh, black magic and the occult. <laughs> and, you know, you have uh, all these skeptics and everything else. We've been under this, this sort of regime of materialism, you know, the deficient stage of, uh, of the material rational structure in, in John Gabesher. And, um, and I think we're, we're reintegrating that material. We're reintegrating the, there is an occult revival now. And I think we are, uh, so I think there's a healthy reintegration of something that's been taken uh, away from us. Okay. <clears throat> let's, let's shift into some speculative territory for a change. Oh. And <laughs> <laughs> very speculative so far, apparently. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, I'm gonna pour myself a big shot glass of the finest adrenochrome, and you guys tell me what's the next layer of your project. Like, if you could scale up your ontologically flooded limited hangout or take its spirit to the next level, what might that look like? Where could you go from here? Well, yeah, we, I just realized we didn't really explain what a limited hangout is. Ezekiel came up with this uh, as the title. I mean, it's a term that's been around. A limited hangout is a, it's an old CIA technique where they know that uh, some kind of op is going to get exposed. So rather than just have the exposure occur outside of its control, the intelligence agency in question decides to pre-leak it in a way that they can spin it to their own ends. So they'll get some, you know, handy journalists who then they sneak some info to and create people who, you know, have a cover of a whistleblower. And then it's like, oh, and they've legitimately hung out maybe 30, 60, 40% of what was going on. But whatever core nugget they really wanted to hold they keep obscured and everybody gets focused on, Oh my God, let's have investigations. Blah, 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 you know, 
down that journalistic rabbit hole and then meanwhile they sneak out the back door with whatever it is they really wanted the reason i think we chose that site name is because a lot of stuff is coming out but a lot of it is being spun there are a lot of limited hangouts currently occurring so we're trying to we're trying to be you know aware of being aware in a sense so in answer to the question of where's the site go um i mean the writing is our current main thing i think we're going to start potentially we've talked about doing some maybe styles like this where we do monologue style or we dialogue with each other bring somebody else on and start doing some of the stuff that's on the cutting room floor of the pieces. The pieces are pretty tight and require a lot of research and have to focus down a specific line of flight or line of thought and really kind of take it because there's so much to cover here. But in the consequence of that research, you got like 10 other pieces that I could almost write or half write for every piece I write. And I think that stuff needs a space uh, we do have a, um, for those who like decentralized, more sort of open source social media platforms, Limited Hangout does have a Minds account uh, on uh, minds.com slash Limited Hangout. So there we get a little bit more into our thoughts about well, here's a current event occurring. How could this play? How could we think through given all these kind of tools we've developed and, and research methods? Here's some, here's some, think about it this way potentially, or think about it this way, or go down this kind of thought. So that's, uh, that's growing. We're developing a newsletter, which we're calling These Ontological Times, <laughs> which is going to be, you know, uh, reviews of some of the pieces we've written for that month, but also um, Ezekiel is always the one that comes up with all these crazy wild links to this and that and this topic, and he's always sending me stuff. That'll be another space where we can start to follow up on those kind of threads that are a lot of stuff we've been doing behind the scenes, but hasn't yet had kind of frontal space in the site. Yeah, so there is a sort of a second phase of uh, of sort of uh, after getting trying to get uh, a body of material onto the site that we can work with and also a hype, hyperlink work with each other's work but this is sort of another phase and and as you know we we did reach out to to you and Bruce uh, to uh, maybe be a part of integral podcasters so that's another stage of sort of coming out into the culture um and then we'll see we have a budget uh when that runs out we just close the door no i don't know we'll see we're gonna i think we got a couple years of 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 writing and and and, and whatnot but i think you know we're also we're doing it on the fly basically we have about two years worth of at this point writing we did about last year we did pretty much writing full time and we didn't really talk about the site some people just organically or whatever found it but and the you know for me the writing the first year was um really focused around ontological flooding trauma 
social media spaces um, and those kinds of dynamics. And then this year's set of writing really go much more deeply into weird naturalism. So, and deeper forms of the ontological flood, like we've got pieces on the abduction phenomenon, the hybrid phenomenon, and starting to think through all these various aspects that have existed for a long time in light of this updated view, this updated ontology. How are we going to think about transhumanism in this light? How do we think about the ascension? And we can take a while, like I've got ones coming out, like how do we think about people talking to star beings and like intergalactic ascended aliens like how do you deal with that kind of those channeled texts from the 70s how do those get framed so integrals part of that weird naturalism ontological flooding is a big part of that and then i think i don't know where my writing is going to go next year i can sense that there's going to be another block another chunk or another kind of thread that might be maybe more in the parapolitical dimension that you know we tease into here and there but bring that maybe forward so i don't know it's kind of where where the writing is going to take it really it's really the main thread for me i would just add briefly that for myself anyway i mean i'm, I'm trying to work with the culture and track the culture and and respond to it in real time and also i try to think what what does the culture need you know what 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 could um what could a, a writer or a philosophy theologian what could it add to the the current situation so my last piece was in defense of conspiracy theories and I, i've seen that shared around a little bit in, in that heated debate that's being had particularly on, on on the left and and i'm also i've been writing i've written four pieces about q and QAnon. you know obviously a very uh, a controversial topic. I have been following that uh, since the beginning. Um, I was turned on to it in, in, in November 2017. So now I have a little bit of differences about how we see that, although I think both of us could come to the conclusion that it's a, that it's a, a real operation and that, that there is some sort of civil war going on or, or uh, you can look at it uh, in the deep state, uh, look at it as sort of mafia tribes. I mean, that's where the Put it this way, every every day, I can look at my phone right now on Twitter and something, some revelation, some crazy absurdity that we wouldn't have known uh, is happening. So I just think I'm just responding to, to the world day by day and trying to, you know, I do think, you know, that the, the, the veil is being uh, pulled back on at least a certain part of the elite network. Now, maybe that's just by another part of the elite network, but I'm talking about Nexium and and Weinstein and Hollywood and 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 so much of it um, of the corruption and, and everything else and so or whether you go back to the the Panama Papers where you go back you know so much of that corruption's coming out so much of you know so it's just really honestly surfing the wave of of every day I mean it's it's just you know with all the jokes right now you know just you know 2020 and what, what's next you know is the aliens next i mean what's ne what's next after that i mean you know i mean so it's one of these things that the it, it's such a hype an active time it's just a matter of, of of surfing in what's going on
Okay. It won't be too long before I talk to the next person on this series, somebody who's trying to bring a bigger vision or a more careful balance to internet communication of some kind. What would you guys ask them? What would you be curious about? What would you like to know from somebody else trying to bring forth a little more complexity and depth in this kind of medium? I think a question I would have, it's a great, appreciate you putting it out there. I mean, I think for me, we have, it's a bit binary at the moment, right? So on the one hand, we have, we have all this doxing and gang stalking and, and then attempts to counteract that with shadow banning and censorship and all that that you would see you know, say on like mainstream quote unquote kind of major platforms then we have these kind of alternative sites where there's a strong emphasis on which i can appreciate you know free speech uh open thought but then it tends to get as a consequence of that kind of open doors policy those sites can tend to attract really some pretty rough elements, let's say. Not always, and I don't want to like paint too broad a brush, but you do get, you know, Gab struggles for is has its image of, you know, like neo-Nazi hangout site, meetup dot, you know, <laughs> meetup dot, you know, heil.com or whatever, right? Like so it, it, these sites can get whatever I say, infiltrated, infected, warped by really reactionary or degrading or really problematic spaces that, that really foment violence, honestly, and destruction and nihilism. So then we've got this question of like, I don't know, how do we, anybody have any thoughts technologically that would help to cultivate a space where open critical dialogue and inquiry can take place while also taking seriously the need for, you know, just kind of opening the door to anybody and everybody. And then we can have disinformation campaigns and we can have psi warfare and, and we can have, you know, extremist groups fomenting and, and building up. I think it's a real tough nut to crack, honestly. Yeah, I don't have much uh, to add. I, I don't think I'd have to hear a little bit more about uh, the project and what they were doing, I think, to, uh, to form a question. But... Sure. Well, uh, I think we're getting probably pretty close yeah. to the end. Is there anything else you guys want to bring up or add in or prompt? Or are you satisfied with what we've covered so far? Your thoughts, Zeke? No, I think um, yeah, you, you, these are great questions. Uh, and uh, no, I don't think I have much uh, burning. Yeah, no, I really appreciate the time and space. And they are really important questions. And uh, yeah, we're there's our emails, or you can contact us through the site if you. And you'll get our anonymous email, <laughs> our proton mails that are encrypted uh, responses, but. But we are kind of opening the site up. And so if people want to, you know, anything we covered, any of the researchers we named, any, um, we got a whole mess of links and background. We've been spending lots of time. We actually love to share this stuff. So anything along those lines, we're happy to point people in a helpful direction. 
Terrific. You guys have been almost preposterously sober and balanced about this stuff <laughs> and um, obviously complexly tuned into the peculiarity of reality. I love your project. Let me know if there's anything else I can do to help out. And this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you, Layman. You're a wonderful wordsmith. It's always good to hear you. <laughs> totally.